Amy, here we are at the end of season three already. I know. I'm so sad. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't. What, what do I do from this point on? I don't know. Re-listen. That's a good idea. Why don't we let our listeners know that uh, now's a great time to subscribe if you want to keep up with what's going on with the Spirit of West Texas podcast. If you love this season or if you only heard a couple here and there, go back and listen to season one and season two. Subscribe to us and find out what's coming up. Hey, if you're hanging out with your friends and family this summer when you're on vacation, tell them about our podcast. It's great for a road trip. And we'd love to hear what you think. So tell us how you feel about our podcast and, and give us a quick review. Hey, thanks so much for listening to season three. We'll see you after the new year for season four. Catch you next season. Welcome to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. Our guests this season will talk about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges and successes that they've had along their journey. Listen in and we hope you'll learn something and maybe even have some fun with us along the way. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited. Good. I'm excited today. I'm excited I'm to telling be in the studio. You, I know this is going to be a very inspiring podcast. Yes. You want to tell everybody about our guest today? Yes. So, Jared, I had not had a chance to meet our guest until today. I'm honored to say that we have Dr. Walter Windler, who was appointed the 11th president of the United States, just kidding, of West <laughs> Texas A&M University on September 1st, 2016. He comes to WT from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, where he served as chancellor from July 1st, 2001 to July 30th, 2007. Not a native West Texan, but he might as well be. Mm -hmm. Dr. Windler was reared in North Point, New York, where he graduated high school in 1968. His studies took him from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, earning him multiple degrees, including the Professional Master of Architecture from the University of California, Berkeley. His studies eventually led him back to Texas, where he received his PhD from the University of Texas. An avid writer, since 2007, Dr. Windler publishes a website comprised of weekly articles that appear in Texas Panhandle newspapers and beyond. The site also includes more than 600 of his reflections that express ideas and views on the power of higher education and its impact on society. And listen, I love this. I read that he says, a few of them are fairly good, I'll leave it to you to judge the rest. Well, Jared, I've read some of them, and I can assure you they are all good. From his thoughts on service, leadership, and community, Dr. Windler has something for everyone. And I know he'll leave our listeners feeling inspired and, more importantly, proud to be a part of what we call the spirit of West Texas. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm ready to dive in. You ready okay, to get in? Let's do it. All right, let's go. to the podcast studio, Dr. Walter Windler. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast studio, Mr. President. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. It's a joy to be here. I'm looking forward to the talk. I'm just curious, is your motivation to inspire people? Is it to really further and champion the university? Is it to what is it like what because you I, I can read your articles that are about higher education mm -hmm. and still take something from them as a leader, as an employee at this bank. Like what what really motivates you? Because I want to tell your story 
well, but we could take this interview in a number of different directions. Sure. So I'm just curious. Sure. And uh, by the way, I'm comfortable with, with whatever you want to do. I will tell you that for me, it's it's to be able to inspire people. Okay, that's uh, what I thought. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've spoken to every high school north of Klondike in the state of Texas, a hundred and a hundred and thirty two or three. Uh, and that's public and private. And I, I, I am amazed by the people of West Texas. So you've been serving as president of WT for almost seven years. Right. So it'll be seven in September. Correct. Other than this role, what is it that drew you to the panhandle in West Texas? Quite frankly, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I had a friend who was up here in the in the panhandle in Amarillo. And it's somebody I know pretty well. And uh, he was on the search committee. He didn't call me. But the guy that headed the search committee, he said, I think you should be interested in this thing. This was out of the blue. I don't know. I'm retired. You know, I'm going to play golf every day now and, and be able to write. I could do both. Um, we moved to the, we're getting ready to move to the woodlands because it's close to the kid. We have the kids in Beaumont and in uh, Dallas. And uh, he said, uh, well, when are you going to move? And I said, we're, I think we're moving on the 24th of May, I think is the actual date that we're moving. He said, hey. We're going to be interviewing candidates in Dallas on the 25th at the airport. He said, you could just stop down on your way from Carbondale to Houston and do the interview. Take a, take a rest, get a free meal on us and interview. So I talked to Mary again and Mary said, well, if you want to go on the interview, we'll see what happens. So I did. Within three days, they were back in touch with me. They said, I want you to come to College Station and uh, do an interview if, if you want to do that. And I did. I went and talked, and uh, they basically told me you got the job. So what made me come to West Texas? The job. I, I, I really didn't want to retire. I'd retired on December 31st in 15. And on January 6th in 16, I was playing golf twice a day, even up there in the snow. My wife, Mary, <laughs> said to me, you know, you might want to find something to do. <laughs> so I, I, that, that was started this process that maybe it wasn't time to retire. Uh, I've got too many things I want to do. So what have you experienced living in, in the panhandle of West, Te- West Texas that you've not found at other universities or in other parts of the country? Well, one of the things I really like here, I mentioned that I'd visited uh, all of these high schools and getting out into those communities. I'll never forget the night. The first school we were going to go to is Book was Booker. And we were laying in bed the night before we were going to um, we we're going to go on this trip. And Mary said, why are we doing this? I said, you know, I'm not sure. But I think we'll get to meet real people because we would go at night. And Mary would come with me in the beginning. She always came with me. And we go at night and encourage parents and teachers and school board members so that we could try to find out, you know, what people of West Texas expected of their university. And what is so uh, moving to me about West Texas A&M University is the people own it. We got out and started meeting people, and I was taken by how these people possessed the high school and when I got out there, how they possessed West Texas A&M University. They considered it their university uh, in a way that I'd never seen before. And that, that is one of the things that has so attracted me to this place late in life, too. It's, it's hard to describe. So you truly embrace this region. In fact, I read somewhere that we, we being West Texas A&M, firmly believe that regionality is not a limiting characteristic. It's a defining one. So how did the people and businesses in the communities of West Texas really shape and define West Texas A&M? 
That's a great question and a good point. And I don't know if that was my quote or somebody else's, but we do. You we should in- take credit for it. <laughs> You're <laughs> right. Might as, well. might as well. I get blamed for things that I didn't say. I might as well take credit when something, something appears to be good. But, but the bottom line is um, a lot of uh, universities um, – have what I call kind of metropolitan envy. You know, they wish a place like WT wishes it was, you know, closer to Dallas or Houston or New York City or uh, Los Angeles. I've been to all these places, lived in most of them. The fact of the matter is uh, there is something to celebrate in this region of Texas. It's so important and it's a juncture of so many forces at work. You know, it's right in the middle of the country. It's right in the heart of the breadbasket. Uh, you know, for all practical purposes, this region, West Texas, produces the food, fuel, and fiber that, uh, that uh, feed, clothe, and power the nation. And there's a sense of pride in that. And uh, I don't think we should run from that. I think we should run straight at it and say, look, we're on important work here. You know, we're not the Houston Ship Channel. We're not the financial center of the universe like New York is or the digital center of the universe uh, like um, like Silicon Valley is. We, we are at the center of something else. We're the center of the nation. We're the center of food, fuel and fiber production. We truly are that. We produce 24% or 25% of the nation's uh, natural gas right here in, in the Panhandle. And I'll say, because I'm in Lubbock on the South Plains, if I was up there, I'd just say the Panhandle. But the truth of it is it's, 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 it's West Texas, right? It goes all the way to the Permian Basin, of course. Um, and in terms of uh, food, 30% of the beef that's consumed in the United States is 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 produced within 125 or 30 miles from where we are right now, from right here, 30%. And we lead all of the nations in the world in terms of beef production. And I mean, they're not the states, excuse me, all of the states in terms of, and we're so far, we can't even see them in the rearview mirror. We're so far ahead of them in terms of beef production. Dairy production is growing and moving north. Cotton production is shifting a little bit out of the South Plains, more towards the panhandle. It has to do with water and so on. But these things, I want to run straight at these things. And I want that to imbue what we do with pride and the people that support us. For example, the Baines are very supportive of what we're doing up there at uh, West Texas A&M. They feel invested in, in the university. Uh, I know they do. I know Barbara does. I know Mike does. I know Mark does. Uh, obviously, Mark, a little bit more here. But the point is, they're invested in this place. They take pride in it. Uh, they participate with it. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a tremendous feeling. So you started writing in 2007. Yeah. So you've created what has now become an online publication called Reflections from WT, the Heart and Soul of the Texas Panhandle. So the site has more than 600 reflections, some from your time while on the architecture faculty at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and the rest from your time here at WT. So is this a way of de-stressing or did you just feel like you had something that you needed to share with the world that we needed to hear? Why did you start doing this? That's a really good question. In some ways, it's a little bit of both. Uh, but part of it is I, I consider... Um, university leaders at public institutions to be, and I don't want this to sound high-minded or anything, it's not, 
But to some extent, we're thought leaders. We are producing the people that will fill the classrooms and the financial institutions and the, you know, the, the retail establishments and the factories and all that kind of stuff. And for us, the, the uh, cattle operations and, the, you know, just all these things, we're producing those people. And I think it's very important that as leaders, we share what our views are and what our values are, not to try to... Uh, uh, proselytize anyone or, or you know, and get, get them to think the way we think, but to share how we think so that when someone comes to the institution, at least they know what the leader is thinking. And it may not be always the same thing that the faculty are thinking or staff are thinking, but it's, I think it's, a, it's an incumbent responsibility of leadership to share that. And that's why I started to write years ago now, was to share kind of those ideas about a university. And it's usually about the value that a university brings and its role in society and that kind of thing. So in these reflections, you speak in detail about the values that make up West Texas and to a further extent are the foundation for the culture at West Texas A&M. So these values are trust, family and economic prosperity, hard work, regard for others, personal responsibility, patriotism and patriotism, private and civic virtue, faith, rugged individualism, and a performance culture, which I love. So how, how did you come up with these? Are these values that you've sort of identified since you've lived here and then taken them not only into your writing through your website, but also into the culture at A&M as leader of the university? How, where did these come from? It came from... <clears throat> It almost makes me cry to think about this. This is how deeply I feel it. They came from these schools that I visited when I talked to these kids. I'll never forget when I went to, uh, to uh, Klondike, since that's the furthest south that I went. Um, the girls were all dressed up. It was, a, I think it was a Thursday afternoon. Might have been Friday afternoon, but they were all dressed up and they're cheerleading and they, cheerleading and they sat right in the front row. And I commented to them, I said, do you have practice after this? They said, yes. And they were very, there was a certain pride of belonging to this cheerleading squad. And I've never done that, but I can understand the sense of pride of belonging to something that's larger than yourself. That's the compatriotism. And this happened, this just didn't happen in one school. It happened in every school I visited. And I'm taught a tiny schools. Cotton Center was small. Dawson, even smaller. I pulled up into the parking lot at Dawson School, which is a pre-K through 12 school. And I think at the time there were less than 100 kids in that school, pre-K through 12. And as a matter of fact, the superintendent, I can't remember his name. I wish I could. He, he came out when I pulled into the parking lot because his office was there and he had never seen the car. So he just knew it was me because everybody else he knew, right? <laughs> and um, he came out and we were, we were jawboning out there in the parking lot. And he said... Uh, he said, by the way, he said, do you know, uh, do you know anybody that's got, uh, that might be interested in teaching school that has second graders? And I, I kind of laughed. I said, no, what's the, what's the deal? He said, well, we need a couple of teachers at different levels where we're flexible. But what we really need is some people in second grade. We don't have anybody left in second grade. <laughs> and he was so matter of fact about it. And I thought, you know, this is, uh, this is incredible. He's thinking about his organization. And, and by the way, I think this is the case. I don't think there was another, I'll say, place of assembly in uh, Dawson. The school was the biggest civic thing that existed in Dawson. As a matter of fact, they had a big sign out front that said, uh, uh, please be aware, our 
uh, teachers and school leaders are armed and will do everything necessary to look after our the children of our school or worse than effect. And I mean, it wasn't just a little, it was, it was four feet by eight feet. It was a huge sign. I mean, that is incredible. Well, it is incredible. And I asked them, I don't care where you stand on second amendment rights sure. or anything else, but there's this passion, this is sort of kind of compatriotism and so on uh, and belonging to something larger than yourself. And, and he said, Here's the problem. If we had an act, and this guy had been around, I, I think he might have been a tech graduate and somewhere else. Uh, and he said, you know, the fact of the matter is if we have an active shooter in the school, the nearest police law enforcement are 25 minutes away. We're all dead by the time they get here. So we, we take these matters into our own hands. It's part of our responsibility to the families and the kids in this town. I thought, man, I, I, uh, that to me... To borrow a line, in some ways, is the spirit of West Texas. To borrow your line, it is the spirit of West Texas. And I think it's just invaluable. And I saw that in school after school. So the answer to the question, where did these come from? They came literally out of the ground of, of uh, West Texas. And all I had to do was listen. But I did have to go out and listen. By the way, this has become popular. Some of the other presidents in the in the system have. I, one of them said recently they'd been to 140 schools, and I said ah, I hadn't been to 140 schools. I know him. He didn't do it, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of funny. But it was interesting. Uh, also, I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, and these are all schools at South Plains. I forget what it was. It might be Roosevelt. I can't remember what school it was, but it was somewhere east of Lubbock. Small school. Well, and I do remember the superintendent's name was Jimmy. I'll never forget it. Jimmy and I were walking down the hallway, and towards us comes a little group of kids, five, six, seven kids, hanging onto a rope, as kids are prone, prone to do, right, to stay in line and all that sort of stuff. And this little fellow that was in the lead stuck his hand out and said, hi, Mr. President. And uh, I kidded around with him for a minute and so on and so forth. And then they proceeded down the hall in the other direction. And Jimmy said, I got to tell you something. He said, he has no idea that you're the president of West Texas A&M University. He doesn't even know what it is. He thinks you're the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, he's never seen a man in a suit before. Uh, and, you know, I, I got such a kick out of that. And it's so kind of honest and sincere. And, you know, I was in uh, not 100 schools like that, but I'll bet 30 or 40. I mean, I could go through the long list. I, when I talked to the superintendent at Paducah, he said, are you sure you want to come out here? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, I want to say I've been everywhere. And, uh, and uh, he said, well, come on. He said, we've never had, and this happened to me over and over again. They said, we've never had a university president on our campus ever to talk to kids about their futures. Because I told them, I'm not, I said, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm marketing. We, we want kids to come to WT. We're proud of it. But the fact of the matter is I'm talking to these kids about a plan for one, a plan for their future. And what are they going to do to become engaged citizens? That, why do I talk? You asked before, why write and share these ideas and so on? Because we're about the business of producing engaged citizens. I don't want to overstate the case, but I feel like we're saving. Our job is to, not so much we are saving, but it's to save, preserve, and move forward the concept of, uh, you know, the American ideal. And I think it happens, can happen very nicely right here in West Texas. So that's a great segue. In your most recent article, you talk about the importance of taking pride in your community and how that will positively contribute to enrollment growth for the university. So I'm quoting you here. 
Pride enhances the connections at every level of university and community life and focuses on the day-to-day needs of all. Why would anyone want to study, live, or conduct business in a place that appeared apathetic to itself? Or that citizenship and a sense of belonging to an engaged community are unimportant. Indifference is the vilest form of neglect. Neglect chokes economic growth. Enrollment decreases follow and are a detriment to a thriving community. I'm curious. That's a good quote, by the way. Did you write Thank that you. one? Yeah, I did. Uh, by the way, <laughs> there I, were so many from this article. There well, were so many. Well, you're very, you're far too kind. But but did I write it? Yes. And this is uh, I don't write a lot of stuff. We have people that work for us that write stuff. Not this. This is mine. And uh, because some of them are dangerous. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, when I say dangerous. I don't mean literally dangerous, but they're they're very strong opinions about things that I share. Try to share openly. But yeah, I did write that, and uh, and I do feel that way. I feel we have to exhibit pride in in uh, what we're doing, and if we're not, why should anyone want to come there? I mean, I'd I'd, I'd go somewhere else. So how do you hold your faculty staff? How do you hold people accountable to that? How do you, how do you how does that message transition all the way down? Well, that's a good question because that is, how do you do it? It's leadership. You know, I one time spent, and you'll have to remind me because I'm going to get on a trail here, but it's it's an interesting one, I think. I, I one time, when I worked at A&M, I did long-range planning for Texas A&M. We did a thing I finished. I didn't do it by myself. There were 300 people involved, but I was the leader of it. It was my job. It was the only job I had. The president asked me to do it. And we developed this thing called Vision 2020, which was Texas A&M's long-range plan. Where were we going to be in the year 2020? And this was started it in 97, and it took two years. So by 99, we were getting close to the end. We finished the plan. And, you know, our goal uh, at A&M was to create uh, a culture of excellence on the campus. And... That has to be the, how we get others to follow along anywhere, I think, is by what we do on a day-to-day basis, what leadership does. Is leadership really leading? Are they demonstrating a, a good way to do things? And by the way, I'm, I'm as uh, fallible as anyone else, and I wish I could always say I'd never make a mistake, but I don't. I make plenty of them. Uh, but I try to own them, and um, you know, we, we work through that. And the thing is to model it. We went to see uh, Herb uh, Keller when he was the, uh, we spent a whole day because he was involved on the advisory board and Ray Bowen, then the president of uh, Texas A&M University, and I went up and spent a whole day with him at Southwest Airlines. I have never in all my life seen anything like it. Everywhere he went, he knew everybody. And the fact of the matter is Southwest's goal at the time was how to get a person from point A to point B at the lowest cost with the least hassles. And he didn't say that. That's my summary of what I saw and kind of what I know about Southwest. And it's not a commercial for Southwest Airlines, but more for Herb and who he was. And he was something else. I mean, he we went on baggage ramps. He, we walked for three hours with him all through Love Field. He knew everybody. He hugged them. He asked one guy, this is 97, he asked one guy, he said, hey, did you get the, uh, did you get the alternator for that 75 Chevy? Oh, and the guy man. said, I finally, fa- I finally found one. You know, this is a guy oh. handling the bags talking to the, the yeah, chief, the right? CEO. The CEO. <laughs> the CEO, did you get the alternator for that 75 Chevy? I've never seen, or 77, whatever it is. I, I've never seen anything like it. And, and he actually, you got the feeling 
He cared. And even if he didn't, he, he, you felt like he did. And so how do you get people to buy it? I think it's to live it somehow. I really do think it is. And there's always going to be skeptics. You know, I, I just know it. And I have a particular view of the world, my own view of the world that's, uh, you know, fits in pretty well. And in, in this part of the world, you know, I'm fairly, uh, I don't know a better word to use. So I'll say conservative, uh, and, uh, you know, not everybody appreciates that. Um, I try to be open-minded and uh, thoughtful about my views and so on. But I wrote a piece. This is why staff can't read the, write what I write. I wrote a piece and proclaimed that WT was the most conservative public university in the state of Texas. And I did that with by, by first talking about what that meant and what conservative values are. And I don't think it's necessarily partisan, but there is a certain uh, kind of... Uh, perseverance and doing as much as you can with whatever you've got, you know, that sort of conservatism. Um, and uh, I looked at uh, a couple of rankings of conservative universities. There's one, a niche ranking uh, or niche. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but uh, I know how to spell it, but I can't pronounce <laughs> it. Uh, so writing. Um, but, um, and uh, we were the eighth most conservative university in the state, but the other seven were small privates, none of the major privates, no Baylor, no SMU, no TCU, um, and none of the other big uh, state institutions, no Tech, no A&M, no Austin, no Houston, no North Texas. Number eight was us, and there were seven small privates in front of us ranked as well. I, how are those ranking? I don't know how they yeah. rank. I mean, I study, I look, I always caution, you know, this is this kind of ranking. But I also looked at uh, voting records in every presidential election year in the 21st century. So I went to 04, 8, 12, 16, and 20, five presidential cycles. And we consistently voted. Um, on the Republican side of things, more than any other county that was home to a public university, we were 82%. Now, by the way, I don't, I don't, that what's careful is I'm not so much endorsing that, but that sort of redness or blueness, we hear it on the TV all the time, determines um, a lot of things. And it's a, it's shorthand for what a conservative person is, I think. Um, well, what conservatism means, but it's certainly not perfect because I see things from people that, um, you know, claim to be conservative. I said, that's not conservative. And then things that conservatives say, and I think, man, I don't want to be associated with that. So it's a, it's complicated, but as a barometer, I think it's pretty good. And we consistently were, um, over 80%. And and very carefully, I had two graduate students working on this to make sure my numbers were right, because I didn't want to say this. And somebody said, wait a second. And uh, we voted the opposite of uh, Alameda County, where Berkeley is. I wanted to see what that one was. They were, they were like 16% Republican, and the balance were Democrats or Ann Arbor in uh, Michigan, same thing. But we, I looked at all the schools in Texas, and we were the most conservative. Why am I telling that story? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I know it's a good story, though. It I think. Yeah, story. it is interesting and it's, yeah. it's factual. As a matter of fact, I was so concerned about this, about it being misread. I sent it to College Station and I asked the media people down there to look at it and say, look, I'd, I'm not worried about getting in trouble. 
you can't scare a man that ain't afraid to die. And I'm, but what I don't want to do is misrepresent the university or the system in any way. I mean, I feel a allegiance to that compatriotism in one of my values there, one of the West Texas values. I said, I want to make sure that this is not, I'm not doing something where somebody can say, this guy's off his rocker. And they came back and said, nope, based on facts, you qualify things. He said, it's a legitimate conclusion to draw. So, um, but that, none of my people would write that. None of my, some of them are lean the other way. That makes no difference. All I want to do is present facts and be honest about who we are and so on and so forth in West Texas in the panhandle. So lightning round, Dr. Windler. Okay. Favorite West Texas food. You've had food all over the country. Favorite West Texas food. It's barbecue. Yeah. And I, I can't help myself. I like it. I pretty much like it all. Okay. So you and Mary... We're going to get out of town. Where are y'all going on vacation to relax? Well, almost all the time we go to the kids. We like, you know. See the grandbabies. Yeah, see the grandbabies. That's where we spend the time. we got three in uh, Colleyville and three in Beaumont, and uh, we, we spend time with them. That's what we like to do. So favorite book? I know you're an avid reader. If you had to recommend one. I do. This will tell a lot. I, I just read um, The Dying Citizen. Uh, it's about dying citizenship, and it's very interesting how people are, are uh, moving away from citizenship. And this guy's very well-known conservative thinker. Uh, he teaches at Stanford and is part of the Hoover Institute. Okay, worst advice, career advice you've ever received? It's interesting. Uh, it was from my cousin, Elaine Spizzato, who was the guidance counselor at my school. It turned out to be good advice, but at the time I didn't think it was so good. She said, don't even think about going to college, Walter. You're not a good bet. Join the Carpenters Union and be like your Uncle Artie. He's a tremendous craftsman and mechanic. She didn't say that, but, you know, a good carpenter. And, and that was all true. And it wasn't so much that it was bad. I think it was heartfelt advice. In the context of terms, it woke me up a little bit. It made me think about what kind of a future I wanted. It could have been perceived to be bad career advice, but it wasn't. It was fine. It was fine. Best advice you've received? I've heard this from a, a number of uh, preachers that I've known over time. And the best advice I ever received from anybody was stick to your principles. Don't push them on anybody, but stick to your principles. And don't be swayed when you know they're right. And for, uh, you know, for a evangelical Christian, that means, you know, make sure what you're doing lines up with uh, God's word, God's view for your life. And uh, I try to do that. And by, by the way, I, I'm not gonna, I, I, I say that with great trepidation because if anybody looks at what I do and they'll say, does that line up with God's word? And sometimes they'll say yes, and sometimes they'll say no, and shame on me. But that's the best advice that I ever had. So speaking of Southwest, it's, I love that we talked about Southwest and their brand and Herb, Herb Kelleher, but WT to me has an almost tangible brand, mission, vision, values, culture. Um, I almost feel when I'm reading about it online and I'm looking through your website and on the, the, you know, the website for the university, I could almost touch it. It's very clear. It's very defined. And you champion that brand better than any leader that I have ever talked with on this podcast. So I'm pretty visual. I have a point here. So I'm wondering, when you think about building a brand and sharing the story of mission, vision, values, and I think about your 
history and architecture and the understanding of what a strong foundation of, you know, really means to the integrity of a building. Did that in any way, does it help you kind of craft your your story and the mission, vision, values and the brand of West Texas A&M? They can't see me smiling, but I'm smiling <laughs> wide. It's, you know, I never stop being an architect. I'm always an architect. Um, I, I shape policies and um, ideas and try to encourage others to engage those same things. And that's basically what an architect does, except an architect does it in, you know, in three-dimensional space. I'm doing it in sort of uh, in the heart and the soul of uh, the people I work with, trying to encourage them to get something that they're on fire about. And uh, yeah, it works for me and it is a foundation. I, um, the strong foundation is very important. So you clearly spend a great deal of time reading and researching and writing your reflections, recording a podcast, the video op-eds. All of those are a wonderful combination of thoughtfulness and inspiration and conviction and vision. So I'm curious, where do you find inspiration so that you can inspire others? I think I get it from the people I'm around every day. First and foremost is my wife, Mary. I just thought yesterday that we've been we've been knowing each other. That something came up in a conversation between she and I about women and their role in society. And I, you know, I told her I said my best friend is a woman, and we kind of laughed. But for 53 years we've been best friends and uh, soulmates. And she 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 very rarely tells me what to do except when I'm driving the doggone car. But other than that. <laughs> <laughs> which is some sort of DNA-inspired thing. But anyway, she, um, uh, she in many ways is inspiring to me. She's a person that holds on to her values very strongly, and uh, I, I learned that from her, and I'm, I'm very thankful for it. But also others that also hold on to their kind of foundations, their deep roots, and so on and so forth. Not having known Ray, I think I would have liked him. I think, I, I think he had a kind of a commitment that was, uh, you know, it was visceral. I mean, it really was connected. And I just think that's uh, so important. Some people that wander around and never find it. And it's sad. So, Dr. Windler, on this podcast, we're talking to West Texans about their big dreams. And I would say that $125 million is a pretty big dream. So I've been so impressed with all you're working on to accomplish for West Texas A&M. And truly, that's why we wanted to invite you on this podcast is, is the One West campaign. So tell us a bit about that. I will. The, um, you know, we did a long range plan uh, for West Texas A&M called WT125. And that plan and it was we we started it about six years ago now, um, and it took well over a year to finish it. But it laid out where we thought the university should be in the year 2035, which will be our 125th anniversary. Well, as we began to structure a fundraising campaign, we said, well, maybe we should think about that 125. And my first response was, that's good, but I think it might be too little for what we can do. And we've proven that to be the case by, by the year 2035. Uh, we started the campaign just a few years ago, and uh, we're at 123 million now. And uh, families from across the panhandle have been very, very influential. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bain family has been very helpful to us and other people associated with First United Bank, the Schaefer family, the, you know, they just one if the Peels, just people that have been very, very helpful to the university. And uh, this campaign is allowing them to, uh, 
to, uh, in a sense, contribute to the future of WT, and they've done so in spades, uh, just in spades. Just recently uh, renamed our football stadium, Bain Schaefer Stadium, uh, the Bain Athletic Center uh, on campus, First United Bank uh, Arena, you know, the we call it the FUB, um, you know, but it's, a, it's just been one thing uh, after another, but it's all focused on that on the 125 year anniversary and 125 million dollars but we're gonna i i'm gonna say this right now i think we'll pass that uh i'm gonna say before the end of march mm. surpass the 125 yep we just said we just need a few more million dollars and and we've got three or four deals that are going right now and we're going to surpass it and then what we're going to do and this is no secret we're going to set another target to try to get to 200 million and, uh, you know, for a regional institution, this is not an apology, it's a point of pride, but that, that's a f- fairly significant capital campaign. And it's been a, it's a joy to watch. So that is a big dream, certainly for West Texas A&M, Dr. Windler, but what's your big dream? That's interesting. Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's a Boy Scout dream. I want to leave this place better than I found it. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to do it. People keep asking me, how much longer are you going to work? It's like, I ask them, do I not look like I could work another day? I mean, it's it's always the same thing. But I think it's to leave WT a better place uh, than than it was when I got there, which is pretty hard to do, actually, because it's a good place. It's fundamentally a good place to be. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to do some things uh, where somebody will say, you know, he contributed some to what goes on here, and he understood uh, the best of us, the best in us, and uh, amplified that. And uh, in a sense, from a work perspective, that is my biggest dream. Personally, my biggest dream, and even more important than the work dream, is to be a good um, husband first and father and... uh, sort of uh, leader of this little group of us, my family. Your community. And mm-hmm. the community. And the community and the region. And to some extent, I don't want to think too big, but the state of Texas. I love Texas. My wife is really, her mom was uh, born and, and uh, raised in Gonzales, Texas, down by San Antonio. And uh, actually Welder, which doesn't even exist anymore, but her parents were, her grandparents were sharecroppers. And it was not like trying to make a living up here in a panhandle. Farming, you mentioned it earlier. And uh, tough way to do it. But she's got it in her blood. And uh, I see it every day. There's a certain kind of toughness, but at the same time, a warmness there that's uh, special. Special. That's Texas to me. That's the West Texas spirit. Well, Mr. President... Is, that's how we're going to refer to you from now on, Mr. <laughs> President. It has been an honor having you here. And um, this might be my favorite podcast episode. Thank you so much for making the drive down to Lubbock to be with us today. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Amy, I could, uh, I could just leave this recording for a couple more hours. I was going to ask, is there some sort of Guinness Book of World Records 
award for like the longest podcast episode because we got so much good stuff. I'm telling you, it was. was You've really not like outdone yourself editing this episode, Jared. I I think the best part about it is that the conversation was going and energetic. Energetic. The second he sat down, and I just had to hit record, and we were just going. Yes, you know, I was really nervous about this interview. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he has an incredible resume. He is an academic. Yeah. um, And. What a delight. Oh, man. It was he was a delight. So much good, just nuggets of gold yes. that, and wisdom that he had behind him that was just so impressive. Yes. I loved it. The good news is, if you know, we can't get all of his, as you said, nuggets into this <laughs> one episode, but you can find um, more information about Dr. Windler and some of his insights on his website at walterwindler.com. So I would really recommend oh, I'm telling you. if you've got, yes, yeah, subscribe to his mailing list um, because he's got some great stuff, great wisdom, great insights out there. This one's going to hurt to edit. It's going to hurt to edit. There's so much good stuff here. It's going to hurt to edit. I believe in you though. Well, I think you've it. got it. We'll see what we can do. Thank y'all for listening in. All right. Catch you next time.